the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Joshua. The nation of Israel had sinned against God after the victory of Jericho. Achan had stolen items from the city that were meant to be destroyed according to God's command. When Israel went to battle the city of Ai, they experienced defeat because of Achan's secret sin. God was merciful and called the nation to move forward, even after their failure. It is time to fight the city of Ai, but in God's way and under his clear commands. God told Joshua to set up an ambush for the city of Ai. Would the king of Ai take the bait? We find out as we join Pastor Will in Joshua chapter 8, verse 9. Joshua therefore sent them forth, the 30,000 men. And they went to lie in ambush and abode between Bethel and Ai on the west side of Ai. But Joshua lodged that night among the people. So the smaller army goes west to get into position. There's a wadi to the northwest of Ai, which forms an almost perpendicular wall to the rock quarry. Remember last time that Israel fled? They fled into the rock quarry and they were sitting ducks for Ai spearmen. And so this wadi runs kind of perpendicular to it and it kind of provides this perfect wall where you can't see into the wadi because of the quarry. So it makes an ideal hiding spot. That's probably where they were. And so Joshua, he, he stays at night with the people. And then early in the morning, it says he rose up and he numbered the people. That's not really an accurate translation. It means he mustered the people. He put them into ranks, got the army moving. And then he went up, he and the elders of Israel, in front of the people on the way to Ai. And all the people, even the people of war that were with him, they went up and they drew near. And they came before the city and they pitched on the north side of Ai. It would be more of a mountainous area, a better defensive position. But there was a valley between them and Ai. There's this valley down there, which would be an inferior position. Israel doesn't camp there for now. We'll see that that becomes part of the bait. Joshua here, he moves the army. They're now there looking like they're going to lay siege to the city of Ai. Well, let's see what happens. Verse 12, and Joshua took about 5,000 men. So now this is a third force. And he set them to lie in ambush between Bethel and Ai on the west side of the city. This is similar to where the other ambushes are, the 30,000, but these guys are closer to Bethel. We'll learn about why they're there in a second. They're there to cut off aid from the city of Bethel because that would create some issues for Israel's plan. And, and I love this because with God's favor again, Joshua's now making some good military decisions instead of last time. The, the spies come in and go, it's just a small town. We should just send a few people to go take it. Oh, that sounds like a good idea. No, now they're being wise, following God's instructions. They're not making foolish military decisions now. And now verse 13, when they had set the people, even all the host that was on the north of the city, and their liars in wait on the west of the city, when everyone was set, Joshua went that night into the middle of the valley. He took his armed forces, the one laying siege to the city, the only one that the king of Ai could see, and he camps that night in the valley. Now guess what you think the king of Ai is doing? 
His mouth is watering. He's going, they're in the low ground. They're sitting ducks again. These guys don't know how to fight. We'll just take them. We'll send out a sword. We'll take them. Look at verse 14. It came to pass when the king of Ai saw it, that they hasted and rose up early and the men of the city went out against Israel to battle, he and all his people at a time appointed before the plain. But he did not know that there were liars in ambush against him behind the city. So here we see that Joshua sets the trap, sets the bait, and the king of Ai takes the bait. It says he hasted when he saw it in the morning, when the scouts came back with reports. The word hasted there means to do something in a hurried manner, implying great energy. They worked really hard to hit Israel before they would move from that inferior defensive position to a better position surrounding the city. And so it says at the time appointed, the word there means a designated time, they came out of the city to attack Israel while they were in the valley. Now, why would you need a designated time? Well, apparently he'd made a pact with the city of Bethel to work together in attacking Israel. Messengers were sent and an agreed upon early morning attack time was set. Well, guess what? Israel's got a whole army waiting for Bethel to come out of their town. They're not going to make it. (laughs) So he's thinking, we're going to hit them with our men, which is not a big force. Bethel's going to hit them with their men, which would have been a bigger force. And we will do some damage and maybe even drive them off so that they never come back. Well, verse 15, and when it happens, when they attack, Joshua and all Israel made as if they were beaten before them, as if they were getting whooped, and they fled by the way of the wilderness that was back toward Jericho, down the plain road path, a much safer retreat route than running into a rock quarry. And all the people that were in Ai were called together to pursue after them. The king empties his city. And they pursued after Joshua, and they were drawn away from the city. And then verse 17, here we see it, Bethel. So that there was not a man left in Ai or Bethel that did not go out after Israel. And they left the city open and pursued after Israel. So we see the alliance there. Both cities empty everything to drive Israel off for good. And now the trap is working, right? While Joshua is being pursued and the trap appears to be working, he, of course, cannot know that the king of Ai has emptied the city of soldiers. So Joshua must depend upon God to let him know when the time is right to signal the ambush. And I love this because it shows Joshua had a part to play, but there was a supernatural part that God had to play as well. And that's how life always is. That's how our victories always achieve. We can't just sit back and go, oh God, the victory's on you. It's not on me. I don't do things my own strength, so just win the victory for me and I'll come and celebrate with you. We have a part to play, but anything we do for God requires a supernatural intervention from him if we're gonna succeed. What happens? Well, verse 18. And the Lord said unto Joshua, here's the supernatural part. Stretch out the spear that is in your hand towards Ai, for I will give it into your hand. So Joshua stretches out the spear that he had in his hand toward the city. And the ambush arose quickly out of their place. And they ran as soon as he had stretched out his hand. To know that, to know that they would, to go as soon as he stretched out his hand, they had to be watching the entire time. I I can't imagine whoever was in charge of the 30,000 men was sitting there chewing on some Twinkies. And all of a sudden somebody hit him and goes, hey, uh, Joshua's raising a spear. They were vigilant, watching, waiting for that moment. They remained vigilant the entire night, the entire time, so they could move immediately when the command was given. And so the ambush arose quickly out of their place, and they ran as soon as he had stretched out his hand, and they entered into the city and took it and hasted and set the city on fire. Second Timothy chapter 
2, verses 3 and 4, Paul tells Timothy to be like a good soldier. He says to him, you thou for endure hardness as a good soldier. You know, the word hardness just means hardship. Can't imagine it was easy to stay up all night. Can't imagine it was easy to try to sneak by all the sentries around Ai. Don't imagine it was comfortable hiding out in a wadi. Wadis are not safe places. The reason it was a good place for an ambush is people don't go wandering in, in wadis because of the flash floods that can occur when rain comes. It just funnels all the rain into one place. But there they were, waiting, alert, vigilant. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. For no man that wars entangles himself with the affairs of this life. Why? So he may please him who has chosen him to be a soldier. Are you being like that good soldier? Or do you entangle yourself in less important things that keep you from being on God's task for you? Well, verse 20. When the men of Ai looked behind them, they saw And behold, the smoke of the city ascended up to heaven and they had no power, which means no ability. There was nowhere for them to run. No power to flee this way or that way. And the people that fled to the wilderness now turned back upon their pursuers. So the sortie that they had sent out wasn't designed to wipe out Israel. Uh, They didn't have enough soldiers to do that. It was designed to drive Israel away so they could retreat back to the safety of their walls and hopefully Israel wouldn't come back and they'd just keep doing it hopefully to wear Israel down. But now their king's plan has become an absolute disaster. There was nowhere to retreat to. They were surrounded and their city was taken. Verse 21, when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had taken the city, that the smoke of the city ascended, that they turned again and slew the men of Ai. And the other issued out of the city against them, the ambushing force, the 30,000. So they were in the midst of Israel. They were surrounded by Israeli soldiers, some on this side, some on that side. And so they smote them so that they let none of them remain or escape. Every soldier from Ai was killed in the battle. And so verse 23, God will judge Ai now. And the king of Ai, they captured alive, brought him to Joshua, took him alive. And it came to pass when Israel had made an end of slaying all the inhabitants of Ai in the field, all the soldiers, in the wilderness wherein they chased them. And when they were all fallen on the edge of the sword until they were consumed, that all the Israelites returned unto Ai, and they smote it with the edge of the sword. And so it was that all that fell that day, both of men and women, were 12,000, even all the men of Ai. That's why they said it was a a small town. It only had 12,000 men in it, maybe 30,000 people, 25,000 people. All of them were slain on this day, though. For Joshua drew not his hand back wherewith he stretched out the spear until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. Verse 27, only the cattle and the spoil of that city Israel took for a prey unto themselves according unto the word of the Lord which he commanded Joshua. And Joshua burnt Ai and made it a heap forever, even a desolation unto this day. And the king of Ai he hanged on a tree until evening tide. And as soon as the sun was down, Joshua commanded that they should take his carcass down from the tree and cast it at the entering of the gate of the city and raised thereon a great heap of stones that remains, Joshua says, it's still there to this day, that big, huge heap at Ai. It's still there to this day. Now, of course, some get angry when they read that the women were killed. But you know, remember when the spies went to Jericho? Who did they talk to? They stayed with Rahab, right? And what did Rahab say to those spies? All of us know that God has given you this land. All of us know that God is judging us. That included the women. Rahab was a woman, and guess what? She repented. And did God slay her? Nope, he spared her. So they made the choice to continue in their rebellion against God. They're not innocent. 
Rahab's words to the spies in Jericho prove that these women weren't ignorant of God's judgment. Like her, they could have repented, but they didn't. So we need to understand something here. Something, when you're explaining this to people, when they complain about this, I can't believe the soldiers did this. You need to say, stop for just a minute. Killing everyone in the city wasn't a military decision. It was God's judgment. There's a difference. It was God's judgment. I always find it interesting because people, Christians, will feel uncomfortable with that, but God's not going to treat women and men differently when they stand before the great white throne judgment seat, is he? God's not going to look at anyone as an innocent bystander. His judgment will be sure, and it will be the same, man or woman. So why do we have a problem with this? It wasn't a military decision. It was God's judgment. Now, God permitted them to take the spoil this time, so they did. But note here that Joshua hangs Ai's king on a tree until the evening. And then when the sun goes down, he commands they should take the carcass down from the tree. And then they threw it at the entrance to the gate, and they built a a heap of stones for a grave for him. But that would also be testified as a warning to not be like the king of Ai. Now, this is fascinating because in Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 22 and 23, God, through Moses, says this to the nation of Israel. And if any man have committed a sin worthy of death, and they be put to death, you shall, and you hang him on a tree, his body should not remain all night upon the tree, but you shall in any wise bury him that day. For he that is hanged is accursed of God. So that your land be not defiled, which the Lord your God gives you for an inheritance." I wish I could say hanging him on a tree is like what you might see with the noose. That's not it at all. The word here refers to being impaled. And you would do this to set an example of this is what happens to our enemies. And so Israel didn't do it as this is what happens to our enemies. Israel did it as this is what happens to someone who disobeys God, someone who would lead people into disobedience against God. Joshua paid attention to Moses' last words in that book of Deuteronomy, and he obeys them exactly here. So yes, the king was made an example for leading his people into evil, for leading his people into rebellion against God. But he wasn't to be humiliated for days on end. That's why other nations did that. This was someone God loved, someone God created, and being impaled there was to be an example of what happens to rebels against such an awesome God. And to do it for the day was sufficient. This reminds me of when Jesus blasted the Pharisees in Matthew 23. It's one of the heaviest scriptures, heaviest things Jesus ever said. He says, you Pharisees, hypocrites, woe unto you, fools. You know, and he just blasts them for a good whole chapter. But where do we find Jesus at the end of the chapter? Weeping. Weeping because they refuse to repent. Listen, we are to always treat others with dignity and respect. Even if they're our enemy, and even when warning them of impending judgment. Speaking the truth should always be done in love and in grace, even when the truths are heavy. With Ai's defeat, the entire central hilly area of Judea is open to Israel. I mean, it is wide open. So if there is any time to take some of those strategic cities, like Jerusalem, it's now, right? But that wasn't God's plan. Turn to Deuteronomy 27 with me. We've got a few verses here left in chapter 8, but we need to explain why they're here. Deuteronomy 27, and I'm not going to give the Bible study on these verses. You can go back and get the Deuteronomy teaching on it, but I do want to read them because it explains to us why they don't invade the central plateau area, you know, all the hilly, rolling hills there in the central region. Deuteronomy 27, verses 1 through 8, and Moses with the elders of Israel commanded the people saying, keep all the commandments which I command you this day. And it shall be on the day when you shall pass over Jordan unto the land which the Lord God gives you, 
that you shall set you up great stones. And I want you to plaster them with plaster. It's this white stuff so you can write on them. And you shall write upon them all the words of this law when you are passed over. Why? That you may go in unto the land which the Lord your God gives you. In other words, you need to do this first so that you can go and take the rest of the land. A land that flows with milk and honey as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you. Therefore it shall be when you shall be gone over Jordan that you shall set up these stones which I command you this day in Mount Ebal and you shall plaster them with plaster. And there you shall build an altar unto the Lord your God, an altar of stones. You shall not lift up any iron tool upon the altar for the stones, but you shall build the altar of the Lord your God of whole stones and you shall offer burnt offerings thereon unto the Lord your God. And you shall offer peace offerings and you shall eat there and rejoice before the Lord your God. That has got to be the craziest thing to see an invading army do. What are they doing? Where are they going next? I don't know. They stopped in the valley between Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. What are they doing there? It looks like they're throwing a party. To who? To their God. They're having church? Yeah, they're having church. And you should write upon the stones all the words of this law very plainly. The rest of the chapter talks about the other things they were supposed to do, but we'll read it here back in Joshua chapter 8. That was God's instructions. As soon as you get into land, before you do anything else, you need to go here and recommit yourself to me. Remind yourself of my word, all my commandments. Again. You think, well, Pastor Will, they just spent like the last like three months doing it there on the other side, Jordan. Yep, and they need to do it again. Well, I don't remember which one of my kids it was. We had one of those kid Bibles and we had finished reading the Bible to him. We got to the end and he goes, wow, dad, we finished the Bible. I said, yeah. He goes, what are we gonna read next? And I said, well, the Bible. He goes, but we finished it. I said to him, well, do you remember all of it? He goes, huh, good point. So we see here in Joshua 8, verse 30, then Joshua built an altar unto the Lord God of Israel in Mount Ebal. As Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded the children of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of whole stones over which no man had lift up any iron. And they offered thereon burnt offerings unto the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And he wrote there upon the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he wrote in the presence of the children of Israel. This is more than just a little tiny break. This is a big break. Now, Ebal is a little over 15 miles northwest of Ai, and the reason Israel had to fight Ai first was because you can't get to Ebal while Ai stood. So once Jericho is defeated, you can get by them. Once Ai is gone, you can get to Mount Ebal. Once those two places are defeated, Joshua obeys the Lord, and he goes right there. Now, you might be thinking, but this gives time for the other Canaanite kings to come up with a plan. This exposes Israel to attack. True, very true. But here's the real question. Are any of those things actually obstacles for God? God knew all those possibilities before anyone in Israel could worry about it. I laugh at myself sometimes because, you know, I'll think I came up with a brilliant idea. And I'll come and I'll start praying. And I, I'm, I'm not saying it, but I'm praying it. Basically, God, you probably haven't thought about this. Right? But I'm a little concerned about this. So, you know, I think we should do this. And I have to laugh at myself. So foolish and prideful to think that I thought of something God hadn't planned for. If God gives me a command, it's because that's what's best for me. And he'll handle whatever repercussions there are from it. So verse 33, And all Israel and their elders and officers, their judges, they stood on this side of the ark and on that side before the priests of the Levites. If you read the rest of Deuteronomy 27, God, after Joshua writes the law on these stones... Would have taken a while. Six tribes of Israel would be on Mount Ebal, call down the curses if they disobey his law. 
that God will bring upon them. And then the other six tribes will be on Mount Gerizim and they'll call down the blessings if they obey God. And it's, again, it's just to serve as a reminder. The priest should be in the middle with the ark signifying that God was in their midst. As they confessed, we understand what your word says, Lord. We, we get it. We know what you're saying and we agree to follow you. So all Israel and their officers, their judges, they stood on this side of the ark and on that side before the priests of the Levites, which carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord. And notice it says, as well as the stranger or the foreigner, they were there too, as he that was born among them. So people that maybe they weren't Israeli, but they were born in their midst, they were there too. Half of them over against or near Mount Gerizim and half of them over against or near Mount Ebal, as Moses the servant of the Lord had commanded before that they should bless the people of Israel. And afterward, he read all the words of the law. So once they were gathered, he reads the law to them, the blessings and the cursings according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded, which Joshua read not before all the congregation of Israel, with the women and the little ones and the strangers or foreigners that were conversant or living with, is what that means, with them. So everyone needed to hear God's word again. didn't mean if you were little if you were a guy, if you were a gal, if you were Jewish, if you were not Jewish, if you were there, you needed to hear it. Everyone needed to hear God's word again and again and again and again and again. Do you see how important God's word is to our victory in Christ? It's paramount. Ultimately, if I'm going to do things the right way, I need to know what the Bible says. I need to understand who God is. I need to understand what my place is in Christ, know what the Bible says it is. I need to rest in what God has promised me. And that will not come from feelings or hunches or even getting advice from people. It only comes from the scripture. Now, one last thing before we close. Notice the altar was built on Mount Ebal, and that's the place where the six tribes uttered the curses for disobedience. Isn't that interesting? I think it points forward to the fact that Jesus came right into our disobedience, came right into our world, the place of cursing, the place where Adam and Eve had been driven out of paradise. They'd been driven out, and that was their curse. And Jesus came right into the place of our curse, and he paid the price for our sin on the altar in heaven, you know, by going to the cross, so that we don't have to experience those curses. Romans 6.23, it says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that good? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word that gives us these precious truths in a little tiny passage that we probably don't tend to just kind of find in our you know, daily devotional or you know, our Bible app that you know, gives us a daily verse for the day. But here it is, Lord, important nonetheless. Something we need to hear, lessons we need to learn, that we might do things the right way and experience your blessings. So Lord, like Israel, I pray that you would, Lord, help us to understand what our position is in you who we are in Christ, so that we won't be afraid or dismayed, either when we fail or just when difficult times come in, that you would help us to stay on the task that you've put us on instead of always trying to run to new things. Lord, that we would be those who trust in your promises. We commit to doing that. And then, Lord, those that follow your instructions, whatever they may be, Lord, that dig into your word, learn from you, and then do what we read. Lord, please fill us with your spirit so we can do those things, do things the right way and honor you and then experience the victory you won for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. When we fall and fail, it can be easy to think God's love and affection towards us has waned, but this is never true. Romans 8 says there is nothing that could separate us from the love of God. 
He longs to be merciful and to bless us. All we must do is repent of our sins and trust His word. He is who He says He is, merciful and gracious, abundantly pardoning. Don't let fear or failure keep you from moving forward into all that God has promised. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.